Scripture reading this morning is from Philippians 2, 19 through 24. That's on page 1043 in your pew Bible. Philippians 2, 19 through 24. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, thank you so much for being here. Uh, We look forward to Friends Day, and we look forward to Friends visiting with us at any time. Any time that you have the opportunity, please come and be with us. It encourages us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. In Psalms 142, verse 4 says, Look on my right hand and see, for... There is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. Can you imagine living in a state of existence where literally no one cares for your soul? That's what the psalmist felt at a period of his life when when he was running for his life, when he felt like all the enemies were after him and no one would stand with him. No one would protect him. In the mid-60s, there was one of the most infamous criminal acts ever performed in Queens, New York. uh, Kitty uh, Genovese was stabbed. This assault took place over several minutes. As a matter of fact, after stabbing her a few times, he even ran and fled. And then he came back to finish the assault and finish the stabbing and finally to her death. Now, the reason this, this struck out, not just in Queens, New York, but all across America is because this event that happened at 3 a.m. in the morning was witnessed by either sight or sound by 38 witnesses, but yet no one called the police and no one went to her help. And this event took place anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour in the duration of it. America was outraged. Had we really gotten to the place where no one cared? When witnesses were interviewed, many explained reasons why they felt like I just shouldn't get involved. And that too became an infamous phrase during the 60s because of that event. I just don't want to get involved. Isn't it a shame if someone calls themselves a friend and doesn't care enough to get involved? Yesterday... I know some of you don't care at all, so you don't have to love football to relate to this, but please get this because I think it helps us think about the topic this morning. Yesterday was the NFL draft. When we think about salaries in the NFL, most people that even know football very well do not know what some of the highest paid positions are. 
Almost everyone would immediately say number one would be the quarterback. Others would believe that number two and three would be things like a tailback or running back, a great receiver. No. The second highest paid positions in football are positions that you never hear about. Nobody considers them heroes. They never make the evening news. They're the left tackles. Two years ago, number three and number four highest paid men in NFL were left tackles. Now, for those of you that don't know football, let me quickly remind you that if you are a right-handed quarterback, the end zone is before you, you're in this stance. You can cover this side of the field with your eyes, but you need the biggest, strongest, fastest man on the team to your back or blind side. Most in the NFL today that play left tackle are around 6'6", 6'7". They usually weigh 325 to 350, and they're very fast with zero body fat. There's not many creatures made like that. That might be another reason why they make 18 or 19 million dollars a year. But think about that just from the pure standpoint of someone that cares. Who do you want in real life, not in football, in real life, who do you want watching or guarding your blind side? When you think about a friend that is one that you can put total trust in, not the friends that you have to keep out in front of you, but the friends that you know, you can trust them with your back. They're the friends that you know not only they're not going to criticize you, they're the friends that will stand up for you when you're being criticized. They're not the friends that when you're hurting, the next time you see them by happenstance, they'll mention to you, oh, I'm sorry about what happened to you. I've been thinking about you. They're the friends that will come and look you up and say, what can I do to help you? They're not just the friends that might advise from time to time not to do something. They're the friends that would urge you to not do wrong. And you can honestly say, because they are in your life, you're a stronger person. You're involved in more good. You have avoided uh, evil or wicked things in your life. They have helped you as a person. Friends, this morning, I'd like for you and I to think about whether or not we're the kind of friend that we could guard the blind side of our friends and they're safe. They're in good shape. We could literally be one of the most valuable players in their life. Paul knew all about being that kind of friend, and he had a few friends like that. And when he had them, he liked to share them with other people. And what a beautiful thought. As we think about this wonderful writing in Philippians... I'd like to remind you just real quick of the setting. You remember in Acts, the 16th chapter, that the Macedonia call. And this was just immediately after Timothy started being a co-missionary with Paul. He was a very young man at this time. And so when they went over to Macedonia, which was Philippi, you remember Lydia was converted there. Uh, the Philippian jailer and his family were converted there. That would have been about 10 years before the writing of this. It would probably been at least three or four years since he had seen them in person. Now Paul is in Roman prison, far, far from Philippi. Now early in his ministry, there were times where they literally sent money to support Paul because they wanted to make sure that his needs were being met. 
Now he probably hadn't heard from them for three or four years. You can imagine that love that they had for each other, but yet without the modern day communication means, you can imagine him wondering from time to time, I wonder how they are. I wonder if they remember me. I wonder if they even care. Can you imagine the joy it was for him whenever this long distance being locked up in prison, whenever he received a financial gift? As a matter of fact, look at the fourth chapter in verse 10. In the fourth chapter in verse 10, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. You see how many times the word care is mentioned there? Ah, you did it again. You have proven your care for me. I wondered if you cared. You do care. And when the opportunity arises, you always show me how much you care. Friends, it's a beautiful thought to have individuals in our life that care for us. But it's even more important. Please get this. It's even more important in our life that we be individuals that care for others. Too oftentimes when we think about great friendships, we think about what we want. When the reality is what we ought to consider the strongest when we think about great friendships is what kind of friend are we? Paul wanted to send Timothy to them. He wanted Timothy to be a blessing in their life. Did you notice as we go back to the text that's been so capably read in Philippians, the second chapter, notice again in verse 19, he mentions Timothy by name and then look at 20. He says, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Now, it almost sounds as if Paul is saying here, Timothy is my one and only friend who would care for you the way I would hope that someone would care for you. Now, I don't believe, and and you can draw your own opinion here, uh, I don't believe he was saying, I have no one else I've ever met this way. I believe that he would probably describe Luke this way. He'd probably describe Titus this way. He'd probably describe Barnabas this way, and, and maybe even Peter and some others. I believe what he's saying here is, at my disposal, a friend that I can send to you to help you, Right now, I have no one else that I could send to you that would be like Timothy. Now, I do want to also balance that statement to say that it's obvious the way Paul writes about Timothy in various places, he esteemed him very highly. I do not think that Paul considered Timothy just an average friend. I believe he considered him one of his best, most faithful friends. And it's interesting the way he wanted to share this faithful friend. And it's interesting the things that he believed that made up this man's life, that made him a blessing to him and to others. But now notice this. He was available. Timothy was always available for Paul to use in positive ways, uh, to serve him, to serve the Lord with him. The very fact of him writing this book, most believe that Paul's eyesight was very bad. And when he wrote epistles, he was dictating them oftentimes with someone writing. That's why many believe that even the book of Philippians, that Timothy was the one that was writing this, being dictated to him by Paul. And now he's writing saying, I want to send him to you. Now, when we look at this next slide, let's just mention quickly a few other things that maybe you know from the scriptures. Timothy has been sent by Paul uh, when, when he was driven out of Thessalonica, Paul was, he had to escape for his life. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I want you to imagine being Timothy. You have a friend that had to escape for his life out of a city, and that friend says, hey, would you go back into that city for me? That's a pretty good friend whenever Timothy says, if that's what's best, if that's what's good for the will of Christ, yes, I'll go back into that city and I'll follow up where you had to leave off. Corinth was a town that had major problems in the church. There were serious issues taking place. Paul wasn't able to return as quickly as he wanted and help them. And so in the meantime, he sent Timothy because he knew Timothy's faith and that he would be able to help them. Another time he wants to send him back to Macedonia. And even here, as we read in the book of Philippians, he's wanting to send him back uh, to Philippi because he knows what Timothy can do. Now, friends, I want you to imagine again our illustration that we started with this morning. You have a quarterback, one that they're strong defensive linemen that could definitely end a play, but the truth is can end a career of a man if he's blindsided. Can you imagine this offensive tackle over here saying, I tell you what, I think I'll just take a breather this down. What he's saying to the quarterback is, I'm not available for you. It's a blitz and I'm about to let this linebacker go in on you. What do we do to our friends? Are we always available for our friends? Are we always where we need to be in our relationship with them. Well, what is it that we need to be in that relationship? It's not just always available for just anything. But notice, the second thing that we see as we finish this same verse is we see how genuine he was at all times. Look at the rest of 20. He says, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Notice here, he says, Who will sincerely The idea of sincere is singleness of mind or singleness of purpose. It's literally where the word or the idea of being genuine comes from. Now, I know we use the word often and we understand it when it's in a sentence, but I want to really break this down because I think it will help us in our relationships. And so he says here, he says, I want to send him to you because he's always sincere in his care for your well-being. All right, sincere, singleness of purpose. Timothy, what's your singleness of purpose in relationships? And Paul says, I can tell you what his single purpose is. He wants to do what's right and best for other people. He is genuinely caring about the welfare of others. How many times do we do things in friendships through dual motives? Sometimes I'm afraid we do things, and, and if you'll go way back, uh, those of you that are about my age, you remember when video games first came out, and it was just that ping game? And just ping, ping, ping. I think that's what we do in friendships a lot of time. It's not sincere motives, it's a dual motive. Hey, I tell you what, I'm going to be nice to you because when I'm nice to you, A lot of the times you say nice things back to me and that makes me feel so good. Let me try that. Hey, I I really like your new car. Bing. Oh, thank you, thank you. And I like your car too. Bing. Oh, it happened. That made me feel so good. Hey, I'll be glad. I'll be glad to keep your kids this weekend and and, and y'all can go out and and have some night on the town or something. That'd be be good. 
And oh, oh, and we'll keep yours next weekend. Bing, bing. Oh, boy, that felt good. I'm getting exactly what I want out of this. What about in your workplace? You know, if I show favor to this person, they might be able to help me when it comes promotion time. Friends, I ask you to take this thought with you all week and really stop and ask yourself every time you're about to say something and about to do something. Are you being single in purpose that you truly care for the well-being of the other person? And that is the only motive that is driving you to those words and that action. Or is it that you have a dual motive? I believe in time I can get something out of this. I believe in time something will be said in return and done in return that will be a benefit to me. And that's truly why I'm doing it. You know, the very next verse tells us how Timothy can have this kind of genuine care at all times. Notice the unselfishness that we read of in verse 21. He says, for all seek their own. Now, that's the general rule of thumb of mankind, our carnal nature. All seek their own. But notice, Timothy's living by a different nature. He's not living by the carnal nature. And so it says, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. You see, that's why Timothy stood out. Our human nature is, let's just seek. Hide and and go seek. I'm looking. I can't find. Let me seek my own will. I want this. I want this. In this relationship, I want this. In this relationship, I believe I can manipulate it to get this. In my workplace, I believe if I go in and I do this job, and I believe if I get there early, and and I show myself, uh, and I show others I'm willing to work late, and if I rub shoulders with the right people, and I do the extra things for the right people, I can get this. And then we chalk it up to, I'm just being a good worker. Yeah, if you want to be dual in purpose, you can chalk it up to being a good worker. But the truth is, it's selfish. How oftentimes do we do good things and we even do righteous things for wrong reasons? Because we seek our own benefit. When in reality, what we ought to do is seek the way of Christ. I had a benefit Monday morning to do what some of you had the benefit to do Monday and what others of you have had the benefit to do on Mondays. I got to sit down and visit with Bud Lambert Monday morning. And what a blessing that was. And uh, when we do get to sit down and visit, and, and get past just catching up on day-to-day things, he'll oftentimes say to me, what have you been studying deeply lately? I want to hear it. And so we'll exchange that. And, and this past week, when, when I asked him what he'd been studying, he, he said something that really challenged me. And, and, and the way and what he was addressing even made me think about this particular verse. It's the fact of how much do we do in our life that is of a selfish nature, but yet it's things that are good. Friends, when we look at the reason to do good for others, the primary motive has to be, I want to do it because it is right in the eyes of Jesus. 
Jesus has to be that standard. Notice again the end of 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. I want to challenge you. And I don't expect everybody here to agree with this as I stated. But I ask you to mull it over this week. Why should you go into work 15 minutes early? To make you look good? Or should you do it because you think that maybe you could serve others and that would be what Christ would want you to do and that would be your primary motive? If you're a salesman, why would you go out of your way to do your best on a sales call? Because you believe you can get extra commission? What about if you went out of your way because you believe that Christ would go the extra mile? In friendships... Why do you bring a gift home to a friend? Because they brought you a gift last time? Because you really believe that Christ would show love like that? Why do we say what we say to our friends? Why do we do what we do to our friends? It is not out of the purest motive if it's based solely on that friendship. Now get this, let's let's just piece this together. When we back up, into 20. Paul is saying to Timothy, I'm going, Paul is saying about Timothy to those of, of Philippi, I'm going to send Timothy with you because he is same minded as I am. And what we find out when we read all of Philippians 2, that one mind is the mind of Christ, which is commanded in Philippians 2, 1 through 5, and then the example of Christ 5 through 11. And so he's already developed strongly the idea of doing things because it's Christ's will. And so now he says, I'm going to send him to you because he's going to sincerely, singleness of purpose, care for your well-being. Because, next verse, he's not seeking his own way. He always seeks what is the way of Jesus Christ. How should we act and interact with our spouses, with our children? What is the way of Jesus Christ? With our neighbors, what is the way of Jesus Christ? What's the result going to be? doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what others think, say, or do. The result is going to be that I'm building a closer relationship with God because I'm imitating Christ. And so we have our friends standing there looking down to the end zone of life and we are on the blind side and we're constantly thinking, not... What do you want me to do for you? For you're constantly thinking, what does Christ want me to do for you? Are you a friend that can't tell your friend the truth? That's because you're selfish in the friendship. You're afraid you're going to lose something in the friendship. That's selfish motives. A friend that can tell you the truth, that comes from saying... I'm going to do what Christ wants me to do in this relationship. That's more important than me, and that's more important than you. What a beautiful thought. Now, Timothy had been doing that long enough that when we read uh, the next verse in verse 22, notice the proven character. He says, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me, in the gospel. 
proven is the idea of testing and tried. Character is the idea that that's what a person is and it doesn't matter what the circumstances are or the peers that surround him. That person is that way, a person of integrity, a person of honesty, a person, in this case, it's going to be a person that looks to Jesus Christ, seeks Jesus Christ, has a singleness of purpose when he deals with others. And Paul's saying about Timothy, he's that way all the time. I can send him from Athens to Thessalonica, and he's that way with people. I can send him to Corinth, and he's that way with people. I can send him back to you people in Philippi, and he will be that way with you people too. That is the way he is. It's proven character. And you know what just warms your heart? Isn't it awesome when you can read those scriptures that just warms your heart? Paul. He was a good friend himself, but he treasured those friends that he could trust to his blind side. And the last writing by inspiration that we have of Paul in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, he was dying. He knew that the time of his execution was at hand. He didn't want the executioners to think that they had the victory. So he gives that battle cry of victory as he says he's ready. And he knows that there's a crown waiting him. But you know, it didn't take away from the fact that he needed a dear friend. And you know the friend that he wanted? He wanted that friend that he could trust on his blind side. As a matter of fact, when we read phrases out of the last half of the fourth chapter, listen to verse 9 as he says to Timothy, Be diligent to come to me quickly. Look at verse 13 when he says, Bring the cloak that I left with carpets at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Look at 21 when he begins that verse by saying, Do your utmost to come before winter. That kind of breaks your heart and warms your heart at the same time. Here's an elderly man in prison, waiting to die, and he knows that winter is coming soon, and he's going to be cold. He's going to be very cold, unless... Who would make that long journey all the way to Rome? Who would travel that far for Paul? Paul says, I know one that's always available. I know one that's genuine in his care. I know one that he's proven. He's proven in his character. He's unselfish and always follows the way of Christ. Timothy... I'd love for you to be with me at this time in my life. I'd love for you to bring my coat, my papers, if at all possible, come before winter. If you have a friend that you can call in times like that, you're blessed. You ought to tell your friend today. You ought to write them a note. You ought to call them. You ought to tell them if you see them today how much you appreciate them. But more so this morning, let's think about this as we close. Am I that kind of friend? Can I be trusted on the blind side? Because my focus is on Jesus. That's what makes us that kind of friend. Our focus is on the Lord. Thank God His focus was on us. He sent His Son to die for us. If you're not a child of God, He wants you to be. He wants to adopt you into His family. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you willing to turn and make changes in your life, turning away from sin and turning to God? In the Bible, it's called repentance. We can't be ashamed of the Lord. We must confess Him before men. 
we need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. In other words, to wash away the guilt of our sin. And when we come up out of that water, we need to live each day and in each relationship saying, what is God's will for me at this time? Maybe you've been baptized and maybe you evaluate your life and say, I haven't lived based upon what God's will is. Isn't it wonderful that God is that Father that invites us home again and again? The angels in heaven will rejoice. Christians on earth will rejoice. If you need to repent and confess sins, come home this morning. If you need to come home for the first time or if you need to return, if there's any way that we can help you, please come as we